0: Good morning and welcome. Uh, it's great to be here with you all, worshiping our Lord and Savior. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, it's great Again, it's great to be with you. Before we get into the text this morning, uh, our prayer focus this morning, when the folks are preaching through the first letter to the Thessalonians, written by Paul. So as you turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want you to, to pay attention to a theme in this passage we cannot miss the theme of the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it transforms the lost. The thing we just prayed for, the advancement of the gospel, is vital to not misunderstand the process of how that transformation occurs. So today in First Thessalonians, we will see this truth revealed. God sovereignly transforms and equips his people for his gospel work, for his glory, unto the end. God sovereignly transforms and equips his people for his gospel work, for his glory, unto the end. Join with me as we read the passage together. Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to, to hear your word. I pray as we study this word together, Lord, I pray that everything I say would be to your glory. Lord, I pray that uh, everyone here would be receptive of that. Lord, I pray that uh, if anyone here who's not a believer, I pray that you would, Open their hearts, or I pray that you would call them out of their sin. I pray that we'd only be built up by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. So we're going to walk through this passage and we're going to see a model of multiplication and how God works and how he chooses to advance his gospel through the ages, through the work of his people. The transformation of the gospel is evident in this passage, and we will examine how that advances. The first transformation we're going to look at is a transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Paul. From there, we'll transition to our second transformation of the gospel, from Paul to the Thessalonians. Once we see the transformation that the Thessalonians had, we'll look at third at the, the transformation that the Thessalonians had everywhere, to Macedonia and to Achaia. Following that, fourth and finally, we will look at the gospel transformation from the Thessalonians through 2,000 years of church history to where we are today. Last week, Pastor JD gave some, a good insight and some good context as to who Paul was and what led him to faith. So as we look at this first transformation of the gospel of Christ to Paul, we see that Paul hated Christians to the point of seeking to kill them and to destroy their ability and the desire to proclaim the gospel of Christ. In Acts 9, we see the miraculous conversion of Paul. And yes, I mean miraculous. If you struggle with the idea of a totally sovereign God, even over the actions of man, Acts 9 is a a great place to see how God's work, his sovereign work, is clear. Paul did not accidentally or intentionally find God on his own accord. He did not choose to find God. But Jesus struck him down with a blinding light as he was on his way to persecute more Christians. Paul realized that through this brief encounter with Christ, that the very person he hated, Jesus, was in fact the Son of God. Christ chose to reveal himself to Paul, and Paul was forever changed. Christ can reveal himself through many means, less physically drastic or dramatic as being struck blind on a road. But those instances, those revealings, are no less powerful and perfectly complete. If you're a Christian here today, think of your own journey to Christ. Maybe it's through the reading of Scripture or through the testimony of someone else. Maybe it's through hearing someone preach the word for the first time. Maybe it was a, a situation in your life that drove you to your need for Christ. Those are all amazing moments in time where Christ was convicting you of your sin and calling you to himself. All of those things were not accidental. You didn't stumble into Christ's arms by fate or of your own doing. Paul, this former Jewish leader and murderer who hated Christ, went on to preach and teach the good news of Christ to Jews and Gentiles alike, across geographical and cultural boundaries. His ministry of the gospel traveled over 10,000 miles around the Mediterranean Sea, planting churches and preaching to anyone not worshiping Christ. Paul was not some local leader claiming to have had a vision on the road, and that's all it was. But he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in obedience to his calling. Scattering the good news everywhere he went. God used him to write 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament, divinely inspired scriptures that have shaped and encouraged countless churches and believers throughout the ages. If Paul wasn't truly changed by God, this would have never happened. This wasn't the power of man. This was the power of the gospel of Christ. We need to understand that the gospel of Christ isn't merely an explanation of a thing in words that we say, yes, those words are true, therefore we are saved. No, the gospel is a divine miracle. It is not a, a math equation or a check in the box on a to-do list. It is a heart being changed by the God of the universe, the creator of all. It is a faith in Christ's righteousness counted to us as righteousness. First Thessalonians 1.5 Paul says this, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life, without Jesus revealing himself to Paul, the gospel of Christ would have just been words to him. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in the Thessalonians through the preaching of Paul, it would have been the same without the true change in Paul's life, brought about by the choosing of God, guided by his spirit, his message would have had no conviction. No real passion or power if he didn't believe what he was also preaching. I don't always enjoy studies. but Several studies about the the American church have shown that 50 to 70% of Americans claim that they are Christians and believe that they are going to heaven when they die. I think it's evident in our society that those numbers are nowhere near the reality of Christianity today. But the truth is, many of the people we are around on a daily basis will go to their grave believing they are Christians and yet have never heard the gospel of Christ in its truth. They've never heard or understood Paul's own words in Romans that sin deserves death, that no one is righteous, It is only by God's gift of free grace that we are justified. And not only through faith in Christ's death as payment for our death, we deserve, are we saved. So what is missing in the church globally? What is missing in the United States? Christians with the same conviction Paul had, preaching the gospel and living only for Christ. We can stand to imitate Paul, just like the Thessalonians did. In verse 6, we see, Paul was someone to imitate, as he was imitating Christ. We should seek to imitate the spiritual work and conviction of Paul. Transformation number two that we're going to look at is a transformation of the gospel from Paul to the Thessalonians. We're going to go over several signs of this apparent transformation of the gospel. So the first sign of of transformation in the Thessalonians is the wildfire of gospel belief. If you remember back to Acts 17, when Paul initially went to Thessalonica, it didn't take long for the message of Jesus being the Messiah, this, this new gospel, to cause trouble with the Jews and transform the lives of many of the Greeks who believed. We see that Paul preached for three Sabbath periods, and the Jews wanted to cause him harm so much that he had to flee. It didn't take long for Paul's short period of time to cause gospel reverberation throughout the Thessalonian population. In fact, from the the time of Paul first coming to Thessalonica to writing his first letter that we read this morning, this period of time was roughly at a maximum two years. But really was more likely about a year in between the two. This is not some well-established group of believers seasoned in their theology and years of faithfulness. Yet Paul is giving them this letter of thankfulness and encouragement for evidence of their true faith. How did this happen in such a short amount of time? They were walking in the Spirit of God. Paul, who was radically changed by the gospel of Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, went from the biggest enemy of the gospel to its greatest advocate. In this short amount of time, the Thessalonians went from bowing down to idols to living Christ. This doesn't just happen. It is only by the will and the grace of God. God chose the early church to come about by the preaching of a man with full conviction of the gospel in the gospel he was preaching and full faith of God to orchestrate the changing of lives by his spirit. Paul was not just a salesman who didn't believe in his product, but he was a man with reckless abandonment for the advance of the name of Christ. The second sign of gospel transformation that we see in the Thessalonians is through their spiritual fruit. Paul says in verse 3, "We remember before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ." Faith, hope, and love. The Thessalonians were known by these things. Their true faith was evident in what they did how they conducted themselves, their attitudes, and by their love for God and others. In verse 4, that we see God shows them specifically for these works of faith, hope, and love. And as seen by their quick conversion upon the gospel being brought to them. The third sign we see is the gospel transformation of the Thess- Thessalonians by their quick obedience in repentance and growth. We see this in their turning from their sinful idol worship and in their imitation of Christ and his disciples. In verse 9, we see that the, the believers in the church had once worshipped idols and turned to God. Think about it. For some of these believers in this passage, they're receiving this letter from Paul. As soon as, maybe within a year ago, they were worshipping idols, bowing down to Greek gods. And yet now they are hearts forever changed by the gospel of Christ. Their repentance was drastic and difficult, yet possible because of God's work in them. For them to go to worshiping these gods and living in a highly sexualized and perverse culture, repenting from that, turning away from that, would not have been easy. This is not some conservative population of people with established cultural Christian morality. There were some Jewish influences, as Paul indicates in Acts, but the Gentile culture of sin was prevalent, further showing God's grace to forgive them. Paul recognized that the Thessalonian church had more than just a head knowledge of the gospel, but they had the heart knowledge, the true conversion that is only brought about by Christ the true conversion that is only produced by God's divine predetermination through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were not justified by their good works. They were justified by the choosing of God, evident by the clear work, the transformation in their lives. God changes the heart. God is the authority of salvation and not us. This is hard for some of us to wrap our minds around. It's hard for us to believe who are prone to default to our own doing, to our own works, are part of salvation. But God's sovereignty over salvation and over man shouldn't divide us, but it should unite us as Christian believers. One of my favorite quotes from J.I. Packer is this, quote, Men treat God's sovereignty as a theme for controversy, but in Scripture, it is a matter of worship. The third transformation we're going to see is a transformation of the gospel through the Thess- Thessalonians to everywhere else in the world. But before we go further, I don't want to give you the false impression that all of Thessalonica was converted by Paul's teaching, and it became a Christian city overnight where everyone loved God and were as close to righteousness on earth as possible. That was far from the case. The church was under persecution for their radical beliefs in Jesus so much so that Paul was unable to travel back to Thessalonica. Even while we are lamenting the bleakness of the gospel here in the United States, I'm not trying to contrast the United States gospel bleakness to the, the, the false view of Thessalonican church perfection. The connection or the difference in them that I want to grasp is the heart of the gospel of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in that process. There was something happening in the Thessalonian church that is a cause for righteous jealousy that we ourselves should pray to receive. Chapter 1, verse 8 says this, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we need not say anything. What a powerful verse. Paul is not being sarcastic in the point he literally doesn't need to say anything about the gospel and that everywhere on the earth has heard about the Thessalonian church. But he's trying to convey that everywhere that the Thessalonian church has gone, the gospel power has also gone with them. If Paul went somewhere to preach and a Thessalonian Christian had already been there, the gospel had already been preached. The phrase sounding forth is a powerful phrase. The idea is a reverberation like that of a gong or ripples in water. The Thessalonians were so radically changed by the gospel that they had to share it everywhere they could. I imagine they had a, an urgency in their words and actions when talking about it, almost like that of a child who can't wait to tell you something, jumping up and down like they have the most important thing in the world to tell you. But in this case, as opposed to the child, this was, in fact, the most important thing in the world and we should have that same urgency. Fourth transformation of the gospel I want to look at is from the the Thessalonians to everywhere, and then from everywhere to us. As we have seen in chapter one of Thessalonians, the movement of the gospel from Christ to Paul, from Paul to the Thessalonians, from the Thessalonians to everywhere, through 2,000 years of church history, the gospel of God, Has by God's grace been made it, has made it to us here today. My question for you is will that gospel stop at you? Will you be a dead end Christian? Or will you continue this model of gospel multiplication? Will you continue the work of faith by sharing the gospel? Or will God have to use others instead of you to continue in this work? There's a lot of dead-end Christians and dead-end churches in our world today. We as individuals and collectively as the body of Christ must not let this multiplication end with us. You're probably a Christian today because someone shared the gospel with you or asked you to attend church with them. Or maybe your mother prayed for your salvation for years and years. This is how God chooses to build up his church through the faithfulness of his people to share the gospel, to love people and God well. He doesn't have to do it this way, but he chooses to. We must step out in faith and create that gospel reverberation. I'm encouraged by the reverberating gospel work that we have seen through this church and happening around the globe. Yes, statistics show us the so-called Christianity in our nation, is dying. But real Christianity is not dying. Yes, we see the weak cultural Christianity that is not built on the firm foundation of Christ. That is dying. But maybe that's a good thing. But the gospel of Christ itself is far from dead. From new church plants, like that of Pillar Crestview, to men of this congregation, leading Bible studies on ships across the globe who are currently deployed, who are seeing many give their lives to Christ. To China, and in Russia, and in India, God is transforming lives by his gospel through his people. Gospel outreach is not constrained to Sundays within these four walls. Our gospel outreach multiplies through the daily faithfulness of church members places God has each of you, sharing the gospel with your co-workers, raising your children in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. No place in life, no age, no job, no difficult time is a free pass to not share the gospel. So with that view in mind of how God multiplies his church through the gospel, I want to offer a few warnings and highlight some barriers we as Christians can face that may hurt or pervert the gospel of Christ we claim to love so much. These are not all-inclusive, but in our efforts to be like Christ, to imitate Paul, and to strive to be like the Thessalonian church, we must guard our hearts and check our intentions. I'm not saying we control God's will by our obedience or lack thereof. However, in the entire story of God's redemption of created man, from the time of Adam, God has chosen man to be used but for his will in spite of our sin, in spite of our choosing to sin against creator God. As Christians, we must seek to align our will with that of the will of God. And God will use us for his glory. I'll go over four barriers that would make the gospel stop with us. That would make the gospel not go forth that would cause us to become dead-end Christians. Prayer number one is this. Not truly believing in the gospel yourself. Not truly believing in the gospel yourself. It's very possible to look exactly like a Christian, to talk like one, to even get up in a pulpit every single Sunday and preach like one without putting your faith in Christ alone. This is unfortunately evident everywhere. From longtime pastors denouncing their faith, denouncing many books that they've written, to believers, to to believing in, in works and traditions of religion to save us. There's a lot of so called Christians heading for hell and leading multitudes with them. They have no conviction of the gospel of Christ, no power of the Holy Spirit. They just spew empty words not rooted in Scripture. Barrier number two would be this. Preaching a false gospel. Preaching a false gospel. One great way for the gospel not to spread is by preaching a perverted gospel that looks like a, a Christian, walks like a Christian, and talks like a Christian, but has nothing to do with Christ and everything to do with worship of self turn on the TV and listen to any sermon you might hear. Read 90% of books in the Christian religion section in any bookstore. Or stop by any number of churches around the nation and there's a good chance you'll hear a false gospel. You'll hear that Jesus loves you for who you are, we love you for who you are, and now we need you to give money so God can bless you. Or you'll hear that you're a terrible person So you need to work really hard to not be one. And that will save you. Let me be clear. Manipulation of people and of the Bible for an agenda of self-gain or preaching a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is utter blasphemy to the Lord God and has no room in the church. Say that again. Manipulation of people and of the Bible for an agenda of self-gain or preaching a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, is utter blasphemy to the Lord God and has no room in the church. Paul in Galatians laments over the lack of faith by those believers, in contrast to the joy of the steadfastness found in 1 Thessalonians. Paul gives this warning in Galatians 1, 8-9 about preaching a false gospel. Quote, but even if we, or an angel from heaven, Should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we are preaching to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The third barrier to the gospel is this gatekeeping the gospel. Gatekeeping the gospel. Don't think of yourself as a soldier guarding a door to the presence of God whose job it is to stop certain kind of sinners from entering the door of salvation. Don't think those people don't need to hear the gospel or those people or that specific person will never change their heart. I won't even bother with sharing the gospel with them because they're too much of an atheist. They're too liberal. They're too right wing. They're too Mormon. They're too Muslim. They're too prideful and arrogant, and I wouldn't want them in my church, so I won't even bother sharing the gospel with them. We are so quick to forget the goodness and grace of Christ, to think that we have the authority to limit the grace of the God of the universe. Was Saul too great of a sinner? He became Paul. Were the Thessalonians too wicked? What about the sins of King David, of Moses, and of Abraham? The truth is, we should all be stopped at that door. But Jesus calls us to enter by his blood alone. Charles Spurgeon confronted this very barrier to the gospel in a sermon he preached in 1888. In comparing the gospel to a caged lion, he said this, The word of God can take care of itself, and it will do so if we preach it and cease defending it. See you, that lion. They have caged him up for his preservation. They have shut him up behind iron bars to secure him from his foes. See how a band of armed men have gathered together to protect the lion. What a clatter they make with their swords and their spears. These mighty men are intent upon defending a lion. O fools and slow of heart, open that door. Let the Lord of the forest come forth free. Who will dare to encounter him? What does he want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all its lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of its adversaries. The fourth barrier we see is this. Not persevering to the end. Not persevering to the end. Unfortunately, being a Christian, Christian, actively walking in faith, is really, really hard. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Christ, is extremely challenging and messy. When trials come, many in the church grow weary of being faithful and either fall into a spiritual rut or fall away completely. Depression and anxiety about the world falling apart and worrying about if we are in the end times or not leads to an unhealthy, scared Christian who is too busy sharing the doom and gloom of the world to share the joy, hope, and transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ just as the Thessalonians showed their true faith in God. By joyful expression, by joyfully awaiting the return of our Savior, they were faithful to the end. We too must boldly and joyfully await the return of our Savior and not worry ourselves into oblivion. Thessalonians 1.10 says this, Wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. As we come to a close today, for everyone in the room who is a Christian, as we have seen this model of gospel transformation from Christ to Paul, from Paul to the church in Thessalonica, from Thessalonica to everywhere, and from everywhere to us, remember this will the gospel message dead-end with you? The majority of people we encounter in this life have never heard the true gospel of Christ. God chooses us to share it with them. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he will work through you to advance his kingdom, his gospel, his truth. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. Don't let the gospel stop with you, but take it outside of these walls. Take it outside of these doors and continue that gospel multiplication. To the unbeliever in the room, maybe you have been living your whole life hoping you can earn your way to heaven. Maybe you don't believe in God at all. Or maybe you've spent your entire life in a Christian family. You received a Christian education and you think you know everything there is to know about the Bible, but yet you have not put your faith in Christ alone. Maybe the, the church has hurt you in the past, and you don't want to darken the, the, the doorstep of a church ever again. Remember who Christ is, who he says he is in the Bible. If you have not put your faith in Christ, do not delay. Cry out to God. He is faithful to answer. He will forgive you of all of your sins. But if you harden your heart to this gospel, if you think I sound a little bit too crazy or serious about what I believe, and you don't want to take God seriously, I challenge you to examine your life, to study the scriptures for yourself, and to ask questions. But better yet, Call out to God. Pray to him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. You might be surprised. But I'll warn you, if you pray that prayer, he might reveal himself in ways that you did not expect. I would argue he's already revealed himself to you in many ways, but you've just refused to look and you've hardened your heart. Even if you're unwilling to pray that prayer, that is my prayer for you. That should be the entire church's prayer for you as an unbeliever. Just remember the the power of the gospel through Christ alone. It is something we can take joy in. Something we can push away all the worries and all the cares of the world because there's only one thing that matters and that is a life for Christ. Good Lord in prayer. Lord, as we have seen the ways you choose to advance your gospel through the transforming of lives and the way you multiply your church, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We realize we don't deserve your love and we don't deserve to be chosen by you. We deserve death. But you made a way through your son and we thank you for his death on the cross, the death that he took on our behalf. I pray we as Christians would not let the gospel stop here today. That this transformation that has reverberated through thousands of years through your church to us today, it would not stop at us. I pray we would continue the gospel work you have called us to do. Guide every Christian in here with your Holy Spirit. That we would hear him and not ignore his guidance, his leading in our lives pray for every single unbeliever who's here today. I pray that they might see the gospel clearly, and that if they have been believing a false gospel, if they don't believe that you exist, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that they would not delay to coming to the foot of the cross, broken and in need of a Savior. I pray that we as a church would be faithful to those unbelievers, that we would not gatekeep the gospel for them. Pray that we'd be a people who actually believe the gospel ourselves and that when trials come, we would persevere to the end. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your gospel and we thank you for what you're doing in the church and around the world. Amen.